Well, welcome to the book of Revelation again. If you are brand new with us this weekend at our campus at 111 or here at Hobson, we are in the last book of the Bible, one of the most intense, one of the most mysterious, and one of the most exciting and least understood books of the Bible. It talks about the future And we wanted to keep on talking about that. Now, what I'd like to do this weekend is kind of bring you up to speed if you feel like you're kind of disjointed and, you know, have had a hard time kind of following the direction. In Revelation chapter 1, what happened is that John, the apostle who was on the Isle of Patmos, has this vision in which the Lord approaches him and introduces, in essence, himself to John and says, I'm going to unveil the future to you. And then in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 3, our Lord told John to give to seven different churches in Asia Minor uh, letters that he wanted to write to them, letters of correction and encouragement. And uh, so John takes those notes, but it belongs not just to those churches. It belongs to churches in the past, the present, and especially the future. And then in Revelation chapter 4, John's spirit is taken up into heaven and he's shown the very future. And there he's in the throne room of God and it's filled with worship and praise and glory. And in the right hand of God is the scroll with seven seals and no one is able to open it until finally the Lamb of God, the Lion of God approaches. And that's Jesus, the Lamb who was sacrificed for our sin, the Lion who conquered death and rose from the grave. And he takes that scroll and he unseals each one of those seals and opens it up. And as he opens it up, we find out that the first four seals reveal the evil and and uh, uh, dire misery that's going to come to this world, not because of God, but because of man's sinfulness, and later on because of the Antichrist presence in this world. When the fifth seal is opened up, we hear the, the cries and the prayers of those who have been martyred for the sake of Christ, calling out for justice and calling out that God would vindicate them. And then in the sixth seal, we see this uh, immense cosmic experience where The sun becomes dark and the moon turns blood and the stars seem to fall like figs off a tree onto the earth. And it's a warning sign that God is getting ready to judge. And then the seventh seal is about now to be opened. And that's where we pick up our story in Revelation chapter 8. So grab your Bibles. If you didn't bring one, grab one from the uh, back of the chair and pull it out. And if you need a Bible, let us know at our guest reception area. We would be happy to equip you with God's Word. Revelation chapter 8. And we're going to cover chapter 8, 9, and 10. So hang on to your chairs, all right? Revelation chapter 8. And uh, just place your hand on God's Word as we've been doing every weekend. And let's ask Him to speak to us. Father, thank you for your Word. We invite your Holy Spirit now to help us understand it, what it means for us today and how you want us to live our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. It says, When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, so here's our token scroll we've been using, and the Lamb takes off that seventh seal, it now releases the preparation for God's judgment to come upon the world. And that's going to be symbolized by seven trumpets. Listen to what it says. When the lamp broke the seventh seal on the scroll, there was silence throughout heaven for about half an hour. Now, in order to understand why there is silence and the meaning of that silence, you've got to ask yourself what was going on before the silence. 
And the answer to that question is there was praise and worship. Praise and worship is continuously going on in heaven. And the fact that it stops and there's silence like we experienced in here. It reminds you that something pretty dramatic must be happening for worship to stop in heaven. And what's so dramatic is that God is about to pour out his judgment on the earth, on wicked and sinful human beings. And then he says, I saw the seven angels who stand before God. These are seven unique angels. They, they are in God's presence to carry out God's will. And they were given seven trumpets. Now, the trumpets that they were given are the long, fluted type of trumpet that you see up here uh, on the middle screen. And we know that because of the language that was used and because of what we have from the ancient world, reliefs that we have from there, knowing the kinds of trumpets that were used. And trumpets were used in biblical Israel to call the people to worship. Trumpets were used to call the people to go to war. And trumpets were used when a king was coronated. In this case, the trumpets are sounded, meaning that God is ready to pour out his judgment on the world. Verse 3. Then another angel, a gold incense burner, came and stood at the altar. And a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the gold altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth and thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. In the ancient world, incense was used as a uh, part of an offering. And when it was burned, the spices would get off a sweet smell, making it pleasing. And I think the idea that's being expressed here by the incense, I think it's more symbolic than it is literal, is that with the cries of those who have been martyred, asking for God to bring an end to the suffering, it's as though incense is put into their cries in order that it might please God to act soon. And then the thunder and the lightning reminds us that, you know, here in, uh, on planet Earth, when we hear thunder and see lightning, we know a storm is coming. If you've ever been in an earthquake before like I have, then you have a sense after those jolts, what's next? And that's the idea here. All this means that God's, God's judgment is impending. Judge, God's judgment is coming. Verse 6, Then the seven angels with the seven trumpets prepared to blow their mighty blasts. The first angel blew his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood were thrown down on the earth. One-third of the earth was set on fire. One-third of the trees were burned, and all the green grass was burned. You know, the whole point of that first trumpet is fire. And, uh, you know, every summer we hear about raging fires all across the United States consuming large, large amounts of, of acreage. But this fire, this supernatural fire that is uh, sent to this earth charged a third of the earth, making it inhabitable and unuseful. The second trumpet, verse 8. Then the second angel blew his trumpet, and a great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea. One-third of the water in the sea became blood. One-third of all living things in the sea died, and one-third of all the ships on the sea were destroyed. So here is a supernatural act that takes place that causes one-third of the salt water to no longer be able to support life. The oxygen is cut off and one-third of the, of the fish in that water die and all the living creatures. And a third of all the ships, all that are in the water, are destroyed as a result of this. 
Verse 10, then the third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from the sky, burning like a torch. It fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood, which means bitterness. It made one third of the water bitter and many people died from drinking the bitter water. So the salt water was affected. Now all the fresh water, a third of the fresh water is affected. And anybody who drinks this water is bitter. It's like poison. Uh, they, they die as, as a result of that because it is such a, a dangerous uh, mixture uh, to drink. Verse 12. Then the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and one-third of the sun was struck, and one-third of the moon, and one-third of the stars, and they became dark, and one-third of the day was dark, also one-third of the night. You say, hey, wait a minute. Didn't we already hear about a cosmic disturbance back in Revelation chapter 6? Didn't it say there that uh, the sun grows dark and that the moon turns blood red and that the stars fall like figs in the trees. So how is it now only like one-third dark and one-third light? And we'll answer that question uh, toward the end of this message because it comes down to the question of whether we are to take this symbolically or whether we are to take these things literally. But in essence here, there is a, there is a cosmic uh, disturbance that takes place and, and man is basically left with half or, you know, with a third of the light gone as a result of it. You know, a lot of times people come to texts like this. I don't know if you ever watched the Discovery Channel, but they'll try to take biblical phenomenon and prove how it could have happened with science. And, and I know that, you know, God can use anything he wants, but what you have to remember is this, this stuff that's happening right now, this is being caused supernaturally speaking. But I couldn't help when I was uh, doing my research this weekend to come across, or this week, to come across an article in USA Today about some uh, things that our, our scientists are pretty nervous about. And that is here in North America, they're discovering that volcanoes that they thought were extinct and, and no longer active or it'd be 10,000 years before they'd be active again. They're all of a sudden getting a little bit concerned because they're noticing a, quite a bit of, uh, of activity taking place under the crust of North America. And so they're calling for more monitoring and, and more sensitivity to what's taking place because Yellowstone is an issue. There's some places in California that are issues. And they say that there's enough power in those places that if a volcano went off, you, you know, you could basically kiss this country goodbye and uh, most of the world would be affected uh, by the weather. The same thing is true in the United Kingdom. There's a, a volcano that's becoming active there. They're seeing some uh, uh, more gas being released in the lake next to it. And there's, there's concerns going on around the world. And I'm not saying that God's necessarily going to use those things. I'm just saying that when God wants to get a nation's attention or the world's attention, it does not take a lot for him to have to do that. As, as sophisticated and technologically savvy as we are, folks, we're just one big disaster away from, from being totally out of control. And, you know, the Bible warns us not to put our trust in ourselves, but to put our trust, obviously and ultimately, in God. Come to verse 13 and it says, Then I looked and I heard a single eagle crying loudly as it flew through the air. Terror, 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 or the older versions say, Woe, woe, woe to all who belong to this world because of what will happen when the last three angels blow their trumpets. Now, whether this eagle is a real eagle, a symbol, or an angel, I don't know. 
And you, you can't get yourself all, you know, flustered trying to figure out who or what the eagle is, okay? What you want to pay attention to is what the eagle says, which is, whoa, 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 or terror, terror, terror. Get this. In essence, what he's saying is, if you thought the first four trumpets were bad, if you thought that was bad, watch and see what's going to happen now with the next three. So let's watch and see what takes place with the next three. Chapter 9, verse 1. Then the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen to earth from the sky. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Let's stop there for a moment. We know this isn't a real star. It tells us. We know it's an angel. John doesn't say, I saw the angel fall. He just says that he knows that the angel had fallen. Does that mean it's a demon, a fallen angel? John doesn't say that. That word fallen can mean simply was sent to earth. Don't get hung up on who it is. But do pay attention that he has the key, not a literal key, but has the power to open up the bottomless pit or what's called the abyss. And that word abyss is used nine times in the New Testament, seven times here in the book of Revelation. And it is that place where supernatural beings are kept Demons are kept. The evil beings are kept. Paul tells us, remember in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of the air. And there is an unseen world all around us. Verse 2. When he opened it, smoke poured out as though from a huge furnace, and the sunlight and air turned dark from the smoke. Then locusts came out from the smoke and descended on the earth. And they were given power to sting like scorpions. Anybody ever been stung by a scorpion? Wow, some of you have. I have not. I don't want to be. I heard, I've been told it's painful. Anybody been stung by a bee or a wasp? A lot of us have. That hurts bad enough, right? So here's what's going on. They were told not to harm the grass or plants or trees, which is unusual because most locust plagues rip off the vegetation of the earth. They don't do that, not these locusts. It says they were told not to kill it says they were told not to harm the grass, plants, or trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Well, who are the people who don't who don't who do have the seal of God on their foreheads? We remember Revelation chapter 7? It's the 144,000, literal or symbolic, of God's people, the Jews, I believe. Some people say the church, but I believe it's the Jews who are kept during this time of God's wrath. They are not harmed. They're not allowed to be harmed. Back to the text, verse 6. In those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Talking about the wicked, the rebellious who've turned their backs on God. Verse 7, the locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. They had what looked like gold crowns on their heads, and their faces looked like human faces. They had hair like women's hair and teeth like teeth of a lion. They wore armor made of iron, and their wings roared like an army of chariots rushing into battle. They had tails that stung like scorpions. And for five months, they had the power to torment people. Their king is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, in Greek, Apollyon. This leader, is, his name really means destroyer. The first terror is past, but look, two more terrors are coming. Oh my goodness. When I opened this up and read it this week, I thought to myself, and I've been reading this for several weeks preparing for the message, I thought to myself, no wonder people come to the book of Revelation and freak out. 
I mean, the imagery, the descriptions are weird, right? And I just thought, you know, God, what am I supposed to do with that? And I'm like pondering this, I'm thinking about it, and then it dawned on me. You know, uh, Lucas and Spielberg and all of Hollywood with its special effects to try to tell powerful, emotional, dramatic stories don't even compare to God when he wants to make a point. Like, he is the ultimate creator of special effects, right? And you can't get hung up in all of these imageries and in all of these descriptions. Don't get hung up with it. What you want to ask yourself is, what's he using all the pictures and and all the frames and all the descriptions? What's God trying to say by all of that? That's the question you want to be asking. That's what's really important. You know, some people get really into this stuff, like the last few verses I read there. And you know what they do? They say, well, this must, this must be a helicopter, and, 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 and this, these must be fighter jets, and, and these must be tanks. And, you know, they may make all these descriptions, and we go out and buy their books. Don't do that. Don't do that. Buy my book. I, I'm just kidding. I haven't written a book, all right? Don't buy that. Don't buy into that stuff. That's just entertainment. We don't know that from the text. What I do believe this is telling us, though, is that this is a demonic kind of activity that's taking place in the world. I do believe what's being released from the pit, what God's allowing to take place, and God can use, God can use even evil to accomplish his will if he has to. God's allowing these these demons, these, quote, locusts, he's allowing them loose, right, to then torture and plague mankind. When I was a little boy, in about fifth grade, I had two ways to go home from school. One of the ways had a bunch of bullies on it, and uh, more times than not, I'd get beat up by them. And so I didn't want to go that way. The other way had a Doberman pincher. And, and not every time, but oftentimes when I'd walk by that house, that stinking dog would come out Teeth flaring, rah, 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 like that at me, and I'd be on the sidewalk, and he stopped right there at the edge, and I'd be screaming my lungs out. And it would take like five minutes for the owner to come out and call the dog back. And I mean, by the time I get home, I was just emotionally and physically spent because of being tortured by this Doberman pincer. How many of you have a Doberman pincer? Anybody own one? All right. Those things are devilish dogs, all right? Now, if you own one, I apologize, but they remind me of what this text is talking about. Scare you silly, all right? Dangerous, and that's the feeling you get. No death, but just, you know, just this this pain that's being caused in the world. All right, let's move on. Sixth trumpet. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the the gold altar. And that's, four horns stands for strength in the Bible. Horns always stands for strength. That stands in the presence of God. And the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. We know where the Euphrates is. We know, we, you know, Iraq, Babylon. And we know that so much evil came from that place, you know, right after the creation in Genesis. You know, all you have to do is read the first, you know, 11 chapters of the Bible and you'll understand this verse better. But it says, release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates. Euphrates River, then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day, month and year were turned loose to kill one third of all the people on the earth. The locusts before could only injure. These killed one third of all the people 
on the earth. I heard the size of their army, which was 200 million mounted troops. Now, don't think of physical troops here, okay? Think, this, think of this in terms of a plague or demonic beings. Verse 17. And in my vision, I saw the horses and the riders sitting on them. The riders wore armor that was fiery red and dark blue and yellow. The horses had heads like lions and fire and smoke and burning sulfur billowed from their mouths. One third of all the people on earth were killed by these three plagues. By the fire and smoke and burning sulfur that came from the mouths of the horses. Their power was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails had heads like snakes with the power to injure people. But the people who did not die in these plagues still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turned to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Now, once again, I think this is referring to demonic kinds of things that are taking place on earth. And it's interesting to me that it's referred to as plagues. And so much of mankind is killed as a result of that. I don't know if you caught this or not, but again, in my research, I was doing quite a bit of reading the last several, actually the last couple of months. And I came across an article that just appeared this past week. It says, a flesh-eating form of pneumonia that is easily passed between healthy people on public transport is spreading across the UK, experts have warned. The deadly strain of MRSA called USA 300 passes easily through skin-to-skin contact. It can also survive on surfaces and so has the potential to be picked up on crowded buses and tubes. It was first seen in the U.S., but cases are now being reported in the community and not just hospitals in Britain. USA 300 is resistant to treatment by several frontline antibiotics and can cause large boils on the skin. In severe cases, USA 300 can lead to fatal blood poisoning or a form of pneumonia that can eat away at lung tissue. I'm not saying that's what this passage is about. That's not what I'm trying to say. What I am trying to say is what we're reading about can happen and will happen. It has the possibility of happening even in ways like this. And I don't know what is demonically inspired, what is demonically controlled uh, versus what is not. But let's not get lost again in the details. Let's remind ourselves, what is this saying to us? It's saying to us that awful, awful days are in store for those who reject and rebel against God and refuse his love and mercy and grace. They choose for themselves his judgment instead. And to me, one of the most amazing and sad verses is found there in verses 20 through 21. When it says that with all that taking place, they still refused to repent. Isn't that amazing? You know, some people, when, when they experience hardship, instead of turning to God, they turn against God. When I first started the ministry, I had to go visit a man who was dying of liver cancer. He lived kind of a really bad and terrible life. And, and friends and family wanted me to see him and talk to him about God. And you know what? When I walked into that room, I still remember it in my mind there in Port Clinton, Ohio. There he was by himself for the most part, shriveling away, dying of liver cancer. And I tried to talk to him about God. And he wanted nothing on his deathbed. He wanted nothing to do with God. And he died. And it just, it just amazes me. 
And some of it could be so hard and so bitter toward God. But you know what? Uh, that's, that's what's going on in our world. People's hearts become hardened toward God. Why? Because they want God to be their kind of God. They want God to adjust to their moral standards. They don't want to adjust to God's moral standard. Their pride keeps them from him. What a sad thing that is. Now we go to chapter 10. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face shone like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. You know, there's some people that interpret this as Jesus himself, and I totally disagree. There are three mighty angels mentioned back in Revelation chapter 5, here in Revelation chapter 10, we'll see later on in Revelation chapter 18, and I don't believe this is Jesus, because he says, I saw another mighty angel, and there's only one Jesus. So I I don't interpret it that way, but he certainly has splendor about him because he's been in God's glorious presence. He represents God, and he seems to be a communicator for God to man. And in his hand was a small scroll that had been opened. He stood with his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. That means he had authority over the earth. And he gave a great shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the seven thunders answered. Man, God's into dramatic effects, isn't he? When the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, keep secret what the seven thunders said and do not write it down. Now, how many of you want to know what the seven thunders said? How many of you want to know what was written on that scroll? You'll have to wait to get to heaven. All right? Don't try to guess. You know, don't want to waste the time trying to figure out what it may have said, what they may have said. We're not told. That's not the point of the passage. Verse 5, then the angel I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand toward heaven. He swore an oath in the name of the one who lives forever and ever who created the heavens and everything in them, the earth and everything in it, and the sea and everything in it. In other words, what he's saying is, I swear by God of heaven and earth. Heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool. God is a witness to what I'm about to say that what I'm going to say he can guarantee. And here's what he says. There will be no more delay. When the seventh angel blows his trumpet, God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. It will happen just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets. Well, what is God's mysterious plan? Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 2, that his mysterious plan is Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the answer for the world. The prophets longed to see how God was going to solve the sin problem. And God solved it by giving his son as a one-time and forever sacrifice for the sins of this world. Not only for the sins of the Jews that they might be reconciled, but what a surprise it was, even for the disciples to understand that he was making forgiveness available for Gentiles as well. And the idea here is that God's plan has now been completed We have made it to his prescribed ending. God has a point in time when all of this is to come to an end. And now it has come to that end. Verse 8. Then the voice from heaven spoke to me again. Go and take the open scroll from the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the small scroll. Yes, take it and eat it, he said. It will be sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will turn sour in your stomach. So I took the small scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet in my mouth, but when I swallowed it, it turned sour in my stomach. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Sweet and bitter, or sweet and sour. You know, God's word is sweet when you obey it. 
but it becomes bitter when you disobey it. God's grace is sweet when you receive all that he has for you. But God's power and God's grace become bitter when you reject what God wants to do for you. I don't know exactly what the sweetness of the bitterness means, but I think those are probably pretty good ideas of what's being represented here. And then God says to John, all right, John, I want you to go back and talk more about the future that is to come. Now, what I want to do is I want to sketch this out for you very quickly. And as I do this, please understand this sketch is subject to change. All right? I'm not saying I have figured it out. But if you're like me, I need something to kind of wrap my mind around and see what's going on. The Bible tells us, and you should be getting this by now if you've been with me on the weekends, that there are seven years that will end the, world's, the history of this world. In other words, we're talking about the last seven years called the tribulation. It is marked by a covenant that is created, a covenant of peace. Now that covenant, I'm talking more about it next weekend, may already be underway. Nobody says it has to be a public covenant. A lot of things are done in secrecy. And for three and a half years of the seven, there's relative peace here on earth. In fact, we're going to talk about this next weekend. I believe the Jews will build a temple once again on the Temple Mount. You say, how, what? Be here next weekend, you'll find out, all right? But then it says that as we move through this halfway Three and a half years into it, there is going to be what's called the abomination of desolation. The Antichrist will reveal himself to the world and will begin to persecute believers and persecute God's people. And it's going to get ugly and it's going to be very difficult. It's called the Great Tribulation. He wants to be God. He wants to take over. Next weekend, we're going to find out that about the same time, there are two witnesses that will appear. Who are they? Come next weekend and find out, all right? And uh, this is going to go on. It's going to get so difficult that the Lord says he cuts the time short. And there's an event called the rapture. The Lord takes out his church. And the church is with him in a cosmic experience that I'll describe next weekend. In the meantime, God is pouring out his wrath. And that's what we have here, the seven trumpets representing that wrath that's being poured out. The two witnesses are still involved here. And then after that seventh trumpet is announced, we are told that our Lord Jesus Christ will descend. First, the witnesses are taken up. You got to be here next weekend to get it. Have I plugged next weekend enough yet? All right. The Lord returns to earth. Something pretty special happens here for those who are believers. Got to be here next weekend to find out what it is. All right. Then you have the Battle of Armageddon. After the Battle of Armageddon, you have 75 days, whether the literal symbolic, I don't know. And then you have the thousand year millennium. If that helps you a little bit, great. If it confuses you, sorry. All right. I'm confused too. Just kidding. All right. The point being this. We don't know how much of Revelation is symbolic. And we don't know how much of it is literal. And we can guess at what might be symbolic. And we can guess at what might be literal. But please listen in. What you cannot mistake is this. That someday God is going to judge this world. And he's going to bring history to a close. And he's going to pour out his wrath 
on wicked mankind. He's going to protect the 144,000 here. But those who are believers are going to be kept from experiencing God's wrath. So if some of the stuff that we were looking at this weekend freaked you out, freak out no longer, all right? The Bible seems to clearly indicate that we will be taken from that. The only thing we endure is man's persecution. We will not endure God's wrath. You know, when it's all said and done, and I read the book of Revelation, the hope and the encouragement I get is that I don't have to be, I don't have to be upset like so many people are today. I don't have to freak out like so many people are freaked out today about what's going on in the Middle East, about what's going on with the economy, about what's going on, you know, with the possibility of nuclear war with Iran and, you know, what's going on with the culture and on and on and on. People are just so uptight today. You know what? I'm glad that I can say it is well with my soul. Why is it well with my soul? Because I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And when you have your faith in Christ and you know your sins are forgiven and you know that sometimes, you know, the world rages at you, you know, it's just nice to know that I'm in the hands of God and I can put my faith and I can put my trust there. Just about an hour or so ago, I was in prayer and I was just thinking about how miserable this world is getting. I mean, it's just getting ugly. Our world's just getting so ugly right now with all the stuff that was going on. And I found myself, and I don't do this often, but I found myself saying, Lord, come. Speed it up, God. Let's get this over. Come soon. Come soon. Do you long for Jesus? Do you long for him to return? You know, until he comes, we're his witness. We're his witness. And you know what? We can be his witness because guess what? It is well with our soul. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for making it well with my soul and our souls. If you're here this weekend and it's not well with your soul, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know, this would be the time to do it. I don't want to scare you into heaven. That's not my purpose. But if you've never put your faith in Christ, why not this weekend? I'd love to lead you in a prayer to do that. If you're here and you're saying, you know, I don't know. I just, I'm so unsure about whether Christ is my Savior. Or I've never asked him into my heart, but I want to. I really honestly want to. I get what you're saying. I want to put my faith in Christ. I want to trust him. I'm tired of this world. Then right where you are with our heads bowed and eyes closed, you just raise your hand. Say, this is, my, this is my weekend. I want to give my faith, my life to Christ. Here at 111, raise your hand. If you've raised your hand, pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I humble myself before you. I admit to you I'm a sinner. I admit to you the world doesn't have the answers for me. I want your answer. Thanks for loving me, God. It's hard for me to believe you love me knowing all that I've done. And so forgive me. And I accept that you do love me. Come into my life. If you prayed that prayer this weekend, you have Christ in your heart now. When our service is over here at 111, would you please go back and, and go to the guest center and meet Pastor Rich at 111 and tell him you made that decision. We want to help you on your journey. But this weekend, folks, guess what? It is well with my soul.